it's amazing how different like three steps can feel. Um, it feels really weird to be down here and not up there. But I want to I want to tell you um, about the worship team. I am just extremely uh, proud of them. You know, they serve every week. Um, they learn songs at, her, at home on their own, then they come to practice, and then they come early on Sunday mornings, and they lead in two different worship services. Um, they're humble, and they're kind, and they're genuinely in love with our church, and they love pursuing the presence of God together. And I'm so proud to see them come together as a team uh, and be unified. And I'm excited to see what God's going to do in worship over this next season. Um, but what I'm most proud about uh, for the worship team is how they've come together and formed this team of unity and how they're becoming more of a family. Um, they're learning to lean on each other. We're learning to pray for each other. And as we draw closer together, we minister more effectively and with a singular purpose each week, and that's to glorify God. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning is unity and drawing together, the power and blessing of unity. So I'm going to try to sell you this morning on unity and why you should adopt it as a top priority in your life, why it even matters, um, why you should be thinking about it. You know, unity sounds nice, but uh, it's not really something that our culture is buying into these days. Um, one of my favorite things is, have you heard a celebrity or a an athlete or a, you know, somebody famous say, hey, you just, you know, just live your own truth. You just need to live your own truth. We hear that all the time. Live your own truth to follow your hearts and just, you know, you do you and do what makes you happy. And without trying to dive into those statements too much this morning, I'm going to say up front that living our truth will not lead us to a place of unity with our family unity with our church family or anybody else that you're caring about or trying to love. If we all live our own truth, unity isn't possible. We have to pursue God's truth if we want any shot at being unified. Um, have you noticed how short-lived unity that's based on human compatibility is? It's why we watch reality TV. Um, it would be so boring. Reality TV would just really be terrible if everybody on there actually loved and cared for each other. We'd have nothing to watch. But the reason why we watch it is we can't pull our eyes away from the impending train wreck that is somebody trying to live their truth on top of somebody else trying to live their truth. And it's just terrible. But it's great entertainment as they, you know, tear each other up. Um, as humans... We will turn on each other like that. It's just the way that we do. It's nothing new. Uh, the human heart is fickle and it can't be trusted. So before we get started, here's Jeremiah 17:9. It says, "The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? That's my heart. That's your heart. That's the heart that we're born with. And I hope that part of the reason why you're here today and part of the reason why you choose to seek out Jesus is that you understand that you can't do it on your own and that you need a savior. Amen? So as we start today, the only way we can really have a discussion about unity is to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives, the Lord of this church, and the only one worth following. So the power and blessing of unity, if you have your Bibles or if you want to use your phone and go to your Bible app, I want you to go to Psalm 133. We're going to start in the Psalm and we're going to do something that I never let my kids do, and that's we're going to have dessert before we eat our vegetables. 
we're going to talk about what God says he will do, the blessing of unity, before we talk about the things that we need to do to get there. Here's Psalm 133. It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the beard coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edges of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. You know, unity is one of those words, it's one of those ideas that we kind of have, uh, you know, a general sense of what it means, but it's not really one of those things we use like on a daily basis. Um, You're not going to catch me leaving lunch today with my three kids and turning around to them and saying, thanks you guys, y'all were so unified during lunch probably won't say that because, well, they always look at me like I'm crazy, but that would just be another instance that they would do that. But unity is one of those words, you know, we can define as being one or as being of one heart or one mind, um, but actually describing what it looks like in daily life is a little more vague. Um, Unity is sort of like oxygen. It's one of those things that's almost easier to spot when it's absent than when it's present. You notice when it's gone. Um, We see pictures of unity in our culture all the time. Some examples of what unity does not look like. It doesn't look like uh, Christian leaders being unkind to other Christian leaders, as we've witnessed in the past few months. Unity does not look like husbands and wives living in constant tension and always being just a few words away from an argument. Unity does not look like our current political climate, that was an easy one, right? This is my personal, my personal favorite. Unity does not look like people squabbling over which is better, hymns or praise and worship songs. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about all things unity, and we're going to build a case for why it's an attitude that we should adopt and keep at the forefront of our lives. So we're going to start off with the good stuff, the blessing. First, we're going to talk about this oil that he talks about. In the Old Testament, oil is often used to consecrate people and do the work of God. It was a symbol of being set apart to do something special, something powered by God, something specifically for God. It symbolized being chosen. So being anointed with oil represented the Spirit of God being not only on a person, but in a person, so that they could be empowered to do the work that God had for them to do. So here's Isaiah 61, 1 says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. So this is kind of our mission, right? Here at, at Grace Community Church, we talk about transformation all the time. Transformation is setting free the captives, right? That's what we do here. So maybe you've come from a background where you've seen somebody be anointed with oil. Sometimes we do, you know, when we pray for somebody's healing or we're blessing somebody and they usually have a little, you know, a little bottle of oil and they dump it out on their thumb and they, you know, they real, it's real nice, you know, Um, and that's all well and good. And it isn't the oil that's magical. It's just a symbol of what God is going to do. It's the Spirit of God that does the miraculous in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that makes the extraordinary happen. So normally you see that little, you know, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to put oil usually on your forehead. But David's painting a picture of oil that looks a little more like this. He's, he's painting like a Gatorade bath full of oil. 
So it's oil that's going down the head, down the beard, all the way down on Aaron's robe. Some biblical scholars say that it's oil that gets down on his collar, and some say it goes all the way to the floor. But either way, this picture of oil, this picture of anointing is abundant. It's lavish. It's more than enough. It's ample. And so if you have a relationship with Jesus this morning and you know uh, what it's like to walk in the Holy Spirit and feel the Holy Spirit in and active in your life, this is something you want to experience, yes? So this is a way that we want to walk, something we want to have happen in our life on a daily basis. And so where the Spirit of God is showing up like this in your life and being lavish, amazing things happen, things beyond what we can think or imagine. So this is what God is saying. God is saying, Dwelling in unity is like this. It's oil like this on your life. The second picture he gives us is of the dew. The dew is also seen as a gift from God. Um, It's evidence of his blessing. In Proverbs 3, it's used as the manifestation of God's wisdom and knowledge. In Hosea, it's the dew uh, that symbolizes God's provision, and it causes Israel to flourish and grow. Um, But the interesting thing about dew is that it's quiet. You know, we sing songs about God send us rain and you, you hear about rain in scripture, but it's loud. It comes with thunder and lightning and it kind of announces its presence. But dew is one of those things. I mean, I still don't get it. You walk out and it's just there, right? In the morning, it's just quiet and silent, but it's there. The dew from Mount Hermon in, in Psalm 133 comes down from Mount Hermon to the Mount of Zion. So this is a weird thing. I didn't know where Mount Hermon or Mount Zion was before I started reading the Psalm, to be quite honest with you, but they're not anywhere close. Mount Hermon is in the far northeastern part of Israel, and Mount Zion is south of that. So what he's painting a picture of is that a dewy place, which Mount Hermon was physically dewy, but also in this simile, he's talking about what dew does. Mount Hermon, the dewy place, blessed a place that was not as, as wet. It was dry. So that's kind of the way of how unity works. It starts somewhere and has a tendency to start with a group of people and then it travels to bless others. It'll start in a place and end up flowing somewhere else and being a blessing to people they interact with. So Psalm 133 makes it clear. You've got this like crazy magical dew that's going from one place to a dry place and blessing it the Holy Spirit goodness, and it has the oil, the Gatorade bath. And then God says, for there I commanded it. This is something I'm going to do. So unity is good. You believe it? Okay. So we're going to look at some principles on how we dwell in unity. The first principle is we place ourselves under God's power and pursue God's glory above all else. Um, So it's God's agenda it's not ours. Let's read Colossians 3, 1 through 3. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So here again, the idea is not to look inside for our truth, but to set our mind on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So let me tell you a story about blessing of unity when you put God's power and glory above all else. 
about three or four years ago, Elaine and I um, felt this uh, prompting to start a small group in our church. And so we had some friends who um, their kids were young adults and kind of that college age. And uh, this couple just had an, an extraordinary amount of joy to spread around. And they spread a lot of that joy uh, to me and Elaine, specifically our kids. And so we started talking to them about it. And they were like, yeah, let's start a small group. So we started a small group and people started coming and um, we realized there was too many people coming. And so we needed some more leaders. And um, so we had quickly and easily identified uh, this third couple and their gift uh, among others was they had just this way of making people feel like they're at home. They were just super inviters. You know what, you know those kinds of people. They just invite and they love and they make you feel welcome. And you could have known them, you know, three years or two seconds and they make you feel the same. So we have these three couples and we couldn't be any more different. We're different uh, ages, different ethnicities. We had differing political views. We had different religious and spiritual backgrounds. We didn't share any of the same hobbies except good Tex-Mex. Um, we lived in different parts of town. We didn't really share mutual friends. We were, we were totally different. But we sought God for unity, and he blessed us with it. And I remember praying in my living room with these people for God's will and for him to show up and show us who we were supposed to love. And we didn't know who God would bring us. And he brought us just, I mean, just all across the board. Just look like a, my old worship pastor used to say, look like a bunch of Skittles. Just everything under the sun was in that room. And we didn't, we didn't have an elaborate plan. We weren't uh, biblical scholars. We weren't experienced teachers. But we believed more than anything else that God was the one with the power and that we wanted him to be lifted high and well represented by the things that we did. We wanted God to display his love towards others through us. And God did just that. One of my just best memories was I was with the... Um, two other guy leaders from, uh, from this group. And we had had a, a man come up and um, really just express that he never felt worthy of God. And um, he had kind of gone in and out of church and had some different church backgrounds, but was just really confused with um, wanting to be accepted by God and what that took. And he had this kind of notion in his head that if he did all the right things and if he went to church enough, that he might be worthy of God. And so we started talking and we had a couple of phone conversations and then he, you know, he needed to meet. And so we, we met him, me and these two other guy leaders met him in a Whataburger parking lot. And before we could get from the car inside, we were standing in the Whataburger parking lot, holding hands, praying, and this guy accepted Jesus. And uh, that was the best Whataburger shake I've ever had. I also think that Bartlesville needs a Whataburger because it's a holy place. And a lot of, a lot of great ministry happens there. So, um, And as we continued to, to do things like this, God unified us. And we saw marriages that were broken start to come back together. 
on these Wednesday nights and broken families who weren't coming to church together started coming to church together and people who felt unloved started to feel loved and a part of a church family. And there were moments on these evenings where you could sense the blessing of God flowing a lot like David's talking about in the Psalms. And it was apparent that God was moving and working in people's lives. And it was by far one of the most powerful and impactful times of my life. And this is the blessing of unity. When you earnestly and honestly seek it, God will grant it. And as you begin to walk in it, he will use it to bless others and lives will change in the process. So it's God's agenda, not ours. And man, there was, there was a lot of times we had to flex and do things we weren't comfortable with um, and let God lead and let him uh, direct the ship. Second principle is godly unity elevates others. So it's not all about you, sorry to say. Um, also not something our culture tells us very often. Let's read Philippians 2, 1 through 3. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now here's the kicker. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Godly unity elevates others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but count others more significant than yourselves. Let me give you another example of what unity looks like, um, one that I got to experience here recently at Grace. This summer, uh, we came together as a church and we held a week of what we called Vacation Bible School. Uh, and it was for our kids and the kids um, just in the Bartlesville community. The youth were waking up early uh, on their summer break to come up here and lead dancing and songs. And the adults were waking up early to come check kids in and feed them stuff and um, teach them and give them uh, an experience to encounter God through worship and through the Bible. And um, it was great. If you, if you were here at all, this building was just popping. It was, it was so busy. It was, it was really great. But after, after a few days, um, the volunteers started to get tired. I started to get tired. Um, that's what happens when you're, you know, keeping a hundred plus kids. Also, there's a reason why they only do VBS from nine to noon because somebody got smart. Anyway, we were all tired, but we were tired together and we did something good for those kids every day together. We served them together. And we received the joy of watching these kids grow in their understanding of God. And we also received the joy of serving Christ in a tangible way together. We rallied around a goal. And the goal was providing a godly experience for these kids. We lifted these kids above ourselves. And it was an opportunity for them to connect with God and his word and if you were here during that time, you can attest to how powerful VBS was. But one of the things that was powerful about it wasn't, um, you know, any, any specific thing that happened. It was how close you got to the people that you served with. Because you were battling a, you know, terrible attitude and tired, or, you know, there's always that kid. Um, he's probably mine. But... Um, <laughs> you know, you were working through those things together. And so I got to know, you know, I, I rub up against the same people on a Sunday morning. Um, every Sunday, it's the same people because I, I have a job to do and I love, I love my job, but I don't get to see everybody, you know, 
that's here. And I got to meet a lot of people and work with a lot of people. Elaine and I got to, uh, we got grafted in, in a different way through VBS. Um, and we formed relationships and God blessed us with unity that in a way that we wouldn't have experienced otherwise. And that really is just a taste of what's going on in our church and what's coming. Um, it's a picture of where we're headed So as we continue to move forward and as plans are made to provide more space for our kids and our youth, what's really happening is we're rallying around them. We're elevating them above ourselves. We are serving them. We are giving them our time and money and talent. But in the process, I promise you that we will increase our bonds of unity together as we serve them and as we care for the next generation of believers here at Grace. You know, when someone else is more significant than you, when you treat them that way, um, sometimes it means you have to sacrifice your comfort just a little. VBS wasn't always so comfortable, um, but it was great, and it was worth it. And I don't think there's anybody who would say otherwise, but sometimes it takes something from you. Principle three, God grants the unity, then we're instructed to keep it, otherwise known as it takes some work. So let's read Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity. God gives it. We keep it. This reminds me of a phrase that... uh, you might not use a lot. I've, I've used a lot in the past, and I hear people use it. Um, you know when you're talking about uh, maybe a fight or a confrontation happens, so you're telling the story to somebody, and you say, you know, and then so-and-so, he said, da 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 and then they said, da 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 and then I lost it. You know what I'm talking about? When you lose it. So this, this is the opposite. This is the opposite. God grants unity and then it's our job to keep it. So what happens when, you, when you're saying you lose it, when I just lost it, usually that's, that's, the, that's the moment that unity is out the window and you've lost every, every chance of having a unified moment. So this is why I'm talking about it today is it needs to be in the forefront of our minds. We can't forget that it's important. Um, so why talk about unity now? Why, why try to encourage it right now? And I'm, I'm going to tell you that one reason uh, you may need to start pursuing unity is coming up, and it's called Thanksgiving. Isn't it ironic that we're supposed to gather with friends and family and be thankful, but it can be one of the most contentious times of the year? I really love the disparity between how Thanksgiving is marketed to us and how Thanksgiving can often end up we get pictures of like warm blankets. I like those weighted ones now. Those are cool. And fall colors and pumpkin spice lattes. And the commercials show us all those people gathering around a table and they're all smiles and laughter. But often that's not the kind of stories you hear when people come back from the Thanksgiving holidays. You, you hear about tension and fighting and the silent treatment. And, um, you know, people kind of seem to lose their ever-loving minds at Thanksgiving. Um, so I'm going to encourage you as you prepare for the holidays to pursue unity and pursuing unity starts with you. So here's some quick facts. You know you can't control others. You know you can't control circumstances. You know you can't predict outcomes. 
But you can control one thing, and that's your attitude. Every time you bring a sour attitude of division or bitterness, you have a 100% chance of not experiencing the blessing of unity on your family or your friends. So check your attitude. And somebody, you know, who in here has a life verse? You have a life verse? That's not, a, that's not a thing in Oklahoma? It must be a Dallas thing. Some people have, you know, they adopt life verses and they say, this is my life verse. Well, I'm gonna give you your Thanksgiving verse, okay? You can just adopt it for a season and then put it back when you're done. Um, here it is. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So if you want to experience that kind of Mount Hermon do sort of moment where you bless with unity, decide and prepare yourself as you move into a relationally straining time of the year. Decide that you're going to pursue unity. Decide to submit your attitude about the person or the situation or whatever it may be that gets you ruffled. Submit that to the Lord and make every effort to keep unity through peace. All right, so that Thanksgiving was just an aside. There's more to this than having a peaceful day, stuffing yourself with turkey. As we wrap up 2019 and we move into a new uh, era of ministry here at Grace, I strongly believe that unity is gonna be more important than ever. Over the past few months, I've seen God move in some amazing ways here at our church. We've been watching testimonies shared on video. Um, that show just a little bit about what transformation is like here at our church and how God is moving. And our plan is to keep telling these stories and we grow together and we get to know each other. Um, but as we push into being a church that tells our stories and how God has redeemed us, I guarantee you that we're gonna meet opposition. I've already seen the opposition happen. And the opposition I'm talking about is the spiritual battle that we're in as believers. So God's at work here at Grace, and I believe that he's gonna to continue to use Grace Community Church to transform the city of Bartlesville as we continue to preach the word of God, worship him in spirit and in truth, and share our testimonies of transformation. Lives are gonna be changed. Our city's gonna change. And as we make strides for the kingdom of God and we press towards the presence of God, we will meet opposition as people are freed from the bondage that we were talking about in Isaiah and experience the joy of the Lord in their lives, we're going to experience warfare with the enemy. You know, when we do worship nights and we uh, come and our sole purpose is to uh, encounter the presence of God and to pray for each other, the enemy doesn't like that. That's, he he doesn't like that. He doesn't like people seeking God's presence in his kingdom. But I want to tell you, the devil, doesn't, the devil doesn't fear a big church. He doesn't fear a mega church. He doesn't fear a church with the most profound expository preaching. He doesn't fear a church with the most moving music on a Sunday morning. And he definitely doesn't fear a church uh, that has a new kid's wing. But the devil does fear a united church. Our enemy fears a church that places themselves under the authority of God, that puts others before themselves, and that works hard to keep the unity that God grants. And there's a reason why this unity is so powerful and why the devil hates it so much. There's a reason why unity is met with opposition. It's this, um, when we're united, we proclaim the gospel of Christ. 
We proclaim the gospel of Christ by our actions because we're living proof of the gospel when we treat each other with love and we dwell in unity. John 17, 20 and 21, this is Jesus praying. And he says this, I pray for those who will believe in me, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So there's a lot of you and me and I and you and him and him. But here's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, Father, I'm praying for these people that are coming to know me. And this is what I want them to see. I want them to see that I'm in you and that you are in me and that these people are one and that they're also one with us because that's going to be the proof that you sent me because they'll love one another. You know, even our God is triune and unified within himself. He's Father, he's Son, he's Holy Spirit. He is unity personified. He's a unified God, three in one, acting in one accord. But Jesus is saying, Father, let them be one, just like me and you are one, so that we can all be one together on one accord and that people would believe that you have sent me. We live in a culture that's a shouting match. Don't get me wrong, I think words matter a lot, but I don't think we're going to shout anybody into the kingdom of God. I don't think we're going to lead somebody to a new belief process by arguing with them in the comments of your neighbor's Facebook posts. There's only one thing you can count on. It's only our actions towards one another that don't need a defense. Our actions toward one another need no explanation. And when we selflessly love one another, we irrefutably showcase the love that Christ showed us. As the world around us asks questions about the validity of the gospel, they're watching us. They're asking whether or not what we actually believe means anything. They're wondering if the God of love that we speak about is real. And when we treat each other poorly, when we struggle to get along within the church, we do a major disservice to our message of a loving God. But when we dwell in unity, we proclaim the love of God by our actions and it's irrefutable evidence that points to Christ. So, you still agree with me that unity is a good thing? Amen. You think it's worth it? Amen. So I'm going to give you a couple of practical things to do as we move towards unity. The first one is be a listening people. I have some counselor friends that call it active listening because, you know, there's, there's, there's listening and then there's actually, listen, actually listening. Husbands, I know you know this. Um, so when you're approached with ideas, especially ones that are different from yours, when someone comes to you with their own hurts, take time to listen. When someone disagrees with you before you do or say anything, provide a space of grace. Because I guarantee you, you can remember a time when you needed somebody to do that for you. Whether you were right or wrong, you just needed somebody to listen to you and, and provide a space for grace. We miss the opportunity to show the love of God when we don't provide a safe space for others to speak. You can't reach people that don't want to talk to you because you don't listen. Step two, take time in your response. Um, some people call it, you know, don't react. Take time to respond. You remember uh, the WWJD bracelets? 
It makes me old. Um, you know, they, were, they still wear them now, but they don't have WWJD on them anymore. Anyway, it stood for what would Jesus do? And the, the whole point was to help you um, constantly be reminded, you know, oh, I need to act like Jesus. So I want to talk really quick about um, <clears throat> the same sort of concept, but it's a little twist on it. So there's this guy named Mark Batterson. He wrote a book called The Grave Robber. Here's a quote. The true test of our faith is not our actions, it's our reactions. It's relatively easy to act like Jesus. It's much harder to react like him. When I first read this, this quote kind of hit me the wrong way. And I was like, easy to act like Jesus? Okay, Mark. I mean, maybe for you, but not for me. Like, I don't have it down, but I was missing the point. The point was, is that the true test lies in the challenge of how we react to situations in life. It's our reactions that show us what the temperature of our heart is. I had a pastor a long time ago. Uh, he would always say that we're like a ketchup packet. The human is like a ketchup packet, you know, the kind you get at the drive through And whenever you get squeezed, whatever's on the inside is going to come out. Luke says it, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So some of us may be able to play the game really well when everything's going our way, but when we're squeezed, when that coworker takes credit for our idea or our spouse does that annoying thing that they always do, or if you're in the season of life like I'm in, if you wish that your kids were at bed at six and their bedtime's not for like two more hours, when is it going to be over? Um, that's the moment the real test comes. And when the pressure is applied, the condition of our heart comes out. So here's my suggestion. Let's just take some time in all areas of our life when we're met with opposition or differing viewpoints or when we're around people who are just difficult to keep that bond of peace with, just take a beat. Just take a moment. It's not a race. You're probably not going to win anyway. Just take a, take a moment and subject your feelings and your attitude towards God. And by subjecting your feelings and your attitude towards God, I mean pray. I mean open your Bible. I mean talk to somebody who's not hot and in the middle of the argument who has godly wisdom and ask them what to do. I mean just slow down and approach God about what to do. You know, feelings are true. Your feelings are, are true, but they're not the truth. Feelings are true, but they aren't the truth. So I'm encouraging you to take your feelings to God and let him mold and shape your heart. Third step is get moving and join a team. Some of you are already on teams here at Grace. Some of you are committed to your small group. Um, some of you have teams outside of the church walls that you serve with. But if you don't have a place to experience the blessing of serving together with other believers, I encourage you to find your place to do so. Um, like I talked about in VBS, we had that opportunity to grow together and grow as friends, um, and God granted unity. This worship team that I get to be a part of and work with on a weekly basis, uh, we grow together in unity because we see each other. And it doesn't just happen on Sunday mornings for, you know, 45 minutes and a, hey, how you doing in the atrium? It usually takes a little bit more than that. So that's what your church staff is here for. That's what I'm here for. 
That's what the rest of the church staff is here for. And so if you're looking, um, the thing is, to be really honest with you, you may not be looking. And I'm telling you, it's good for you. And you need it. Um, Sometimes it's uncomfortable. But, you know, I think we get it confused in the American church that we'll just pay these guys to do all the work and then we'll come and enjoy, you know, Sunday morning and then go home. But my job and the staff's job is to equip you to do the work as well. And so we want to help you do that. We want to get you plugged into a place where you can work as a team and experience things. Um, I'm right on time. You know, I, I gave myself a goal when Rod asked me to preach. First of all, I thought he lost his mind. But um, second of all, I was, I was like, I got, I got to be shorter than Rod. I got to be shorter than Rod. And I think I did it. Um, I appreciate... Uh, just on behalf of my wife and I, we appreciate uh, all of you and love you very much. And we love being here at Grace. And I love to see what God's doing as we you know, move into this, this season, like I was talking about, where um, we've got more kids than we know what to do with. And we're growing in youth and doing all these things. I promise you, it's not going to be the building that causes disunity. It's not going to be any of those things. It's going to be subtle, subversive, usually probably not huge deals that get under people's skin and cause disunity. And what I want us to remember as we put those kids' hearts out there and as we grow in that way, that when we put God's glory in front, then all that other stuff can fall behind, all that squabbling, all that whatever it is, But if we hold God's glory and God's desire for us as a church out front and follow that and chase that more than anything else, we'll be good. So I thank you. Uh, Thank you for letting me share. I want to remind you if you're new or if you, uh, you know, you you just need to figure out what's going on here at church. We have lunch right after this. I'd love to eat lunch with you and, um, have a conversation about what's going on at Grace and how you can be involved in that.